Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating, her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. It seems presumptuous to suggest that people who have accumulated large amounts of wealth might not fully understand their wealth. But after years of working with many wealthy families, I'm convinced that this is often the case. My guest today, Dave Fries, is the co-author of a newly released book, Estate Planning Secrets of the Affluent. He's a well-known estate planning attorney in Pennsylvania who has worked with counsel across the country in developing and implementing estate plans that work. Dave is a national speaker who has appeared on NPR, Fox, PBS, and over 125 radio and television programs, podcasts, and blogs. Welcome, Dave. Thank you very much, Sherry. A pleasure to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, me too. Well, you and I go way back. We have a long history. We've had a lot of fun together. We've spoken at a lot of conferences. And honestly, I can't remember if the first time we met was either it was Chicago or it was New York. But all I know is that you and I laughed for three days and each went home with sore ribs. (laughs) That's exactly correct. And you have an excellent memory. We met first in Chicago at Book Expo. And then we met again in New York. Yeah. And, uh, as you say, we've, we've, uh, we've spoken on the same stage many times. It's, it's been a pleasure. And, of course, uh, just love to hear all the great things that you're doing. But today we're going to talk about estate planning and some of the cool stuff. But before we get into some of those sound planning principles, I want you to address the statement kind of in my introduction that most wealthy families don't understand their wealth specifically in regards to the financial, social, spiritual, and emotional aspects that I know you have to address before any planning can begin. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty accurate observation. Obviously, you know, people that uh, amass affluence or wealth, however they define it, um, they're smart people. Uh, So you would think, and we often take for granted, that they would have thought about all of those things. But here's the thing is, Um, When people amass wealth, they tend to be smart at amassing wealth. And amassing wealth often requires their full and total attention for a really long period of time. And when they break free, they're going on vacation with family members or they're doing something charitable in the here and now. And so that they often don't have the chance. They they just can't shift their attention to some of those other things that you and I want to talk with them about to make sure that they are doing what they really want to do. And wealthy people come to me with radically different worldviews. So the, uh, somebody that has two kids who are in their 20s and the same amount of wealth and an equal amount of intelligence and close held businesses, they may have radically different plans once they start thinking about these things. Uh, can I give you an example? Yes. So um, people who are charitably minded and they uh, participate in charities throughout their whole life and they share a lot of what they made, they often do not think about, uh, should we create a mechanism to teach that to our kids and grandchildren or to perpetuate it? And should it just, if we do create a foundation or a donor-advised fund or some mechanism, 
should the kids uh, have to give it just money to just charities that were important to us, or should they be allowed to uh, develop their own charitable intent and to fulfill it in part with the money that we leave them? So there are all these questions that people don't get to. And a, and a simple one is this. A lot of times people come to me, and, I, and they say, oh, I just want everything to go to my kids. And they're all, you know, in their 30s and 40s, and they're all smart, and they can all take care of the money. And then I ask the question, Has, have any of your children ever been divorced? Oh, yeah, it was horrible. My son was divorced, uh, but my two daughters are, are married but uh, haven't been divorced. And then I ask them, would you like to put money into a trust that could protect your children from uh, divorce so it protects this inheritance you're leaving them and still give them, you know, a good bit of control over it, the ability to use it and have fun with it and do with it whatever, you know, you, you think they should and that they want to. And people say, well, I didn't know I could do that. It, it's not because they haven't thought about it. It's just nobody's ever told them. It's not a logical or rational thing. You have to know about these options before you can think about them. So for most people, when they come to see you or they come to see me, it's often the first time they're thinking about these more sophisticated parts of their legacy. Are we going to protect it from divorce? Are we going to leave any of it to charity? Who's going to run the part? Uh, who's going to be the trustee? Um, if we're going to have, uh, are we going to have revocable trust or are we going to have irrevocable trust? Do we need to protect any of it from nursing home care? There are all of these things that they've never, ever, ever thought about. And so it, it falls to you and to me to break that down into manageable chunks, get basic planning in place first, and then to kind of move through all of these phases with them. The end result is people are way, way, way happier uh, because it doesn't take that much longer to do it the right way and to hit all of these important notes than it does just to slap something in place. And then they don't know what they don't know, and there's always a nagging thought in the back of their mind, did I do everything that I could? Right. Well, and then just, you know, you, I'm sure, see this all the time is, like you said, the parents or the, you know, r remaining spouse comes in, and now it's time to plan because they had whatever experience, and they've never talked about this with their children. Mm -hmm. It's like they do this this planning in a little vacuum, and then at, you know, end of life, all of a sudden the expectation is, well, the kids are going to know what to do, right? And so that's what, you know, I, I really, when you think about all of the pieces that go into the planning, the emotional side, the spiritual side, that's coming from the people that have the money right now, and, you know, has that thought or feeling or you know been passed down so that everybody's on the same page yeah that's a great point in an imperfect world i try to get people who won't confront that and won't talk to the kids about it in any detail i try to get them to leave really detailed memos here's what i'm thinking about here's why these charities are important to me here's what i want you guys to know here's what i would tell the grandchildren as they got older if i didn't have the chance and doing memos, in any case, is a good idea, but in a perfect world, we like to have a family meeting that's really educational. In other words, once mom and dad get their planning sort of scripted out, then have everybody come in and tell them why they did what they did. I find there's resistance to this for two reasons. One, a lot of people uh, say to me their kids are not comfortable confronting the possibility of their death, but that makes this more important, not less. And the second is the parents a lot of times, or the senior generation isn't comfortable sharing a lot of details of the finances with the kids. That poses its own problems. But um, no matter how detailed or how little you're going to talk about the actual numbers, having a discussion with the kids about what you want to happen and why and what mechanism you've chosen and who they should see and who's the 
team of advisors they should go to, all other things being equal. That is very, 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 very powerful. It means that nothing is a surprise to the kids at a time when they already are experiencing grief. They don't need lots more surprises. And that there's a system and a support system in place for them makes people, generally speaking, really comfortable. And I've had families come to me initially and say, all right, fine, we'll do one of these meetings, but we're not going to share a lot of detail. And by the end of that meeting, there's been a lot of detail shared um, <clears throat> because they saw that the kids were responding really positively to what we talked about and that the kids needed to know this. And that is, a, again, a very transformational uh, a point in people's lives when they see that their kids rise to the occasion and that they understand what they're trying to accomplish, and it makes it much, much, much more likely that what they want to happen is going to happen. Yeah. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with Dave Freeze, who's an estate planning attorney out of Philadelphia. But Dave and I have been good friends for many, many years. So when I've learned a lot from Dave, in the perfect world, like you're talking about, everybody's, you know, by the end of the, the meeting, kumbaya, we're all on the same page. This is a very exciting. Thank you, mom and dad. In the real world, there's a lot of family dysfunction. And not great communication skills, never have been, and you are a master at communication. That's one of the reasons that we initially met and and just had a lot of fun together, because you were coming in really talking about effective communication. So as you're working with these families or others out here listening, I mean, what do you do with the dysfunctional family? Sure. So the first step is to chunk this big, clunky process down into little bits that they can kind of digest and get them really comfortable with it. And that's, that's true even with the mom and dad or the senior generation. I mean, a lot of times when people come to us, uh, they're dysfunctional about this. In other words, they've come to this process kicking and screaming, feeling like it's something that they have to do and not that they want to do. So if you make it really hard, if you dump all of the tax complexities on them at the same time and all the state law complexities and you tell them about all of these trusts, you give them all of their options in one fell swoop, that does not help with that. What helps instead is to just clarify it. So this is, this is something that all your listeners want to look for in a trust estate's planning attorney. They want to ask them, you know, how many of these do you do? How do you explain these concepts? How many meetings are there? How do you bill? Get all that stuff out on the table. But essentially what you want is somebody that's going to make this as pleasant a process for you as possible because we don't get to the next level of dysfunction, which are kids and grandchildren, until we get rid of our own. So we find that process helps with that. So one thing is that a lot of times people kind of keep silos of information. They tell the estate planning attorney one thing, and they're telling their financial advisors and their insurance advisors different things, or they're siloing the information because they're afraid that if they tell the life insurance guy that they're worth $20 million more than they said, that they're going to be uh, sold or there'll be attempts to sell them more life insurance. But eventually, when you build rapport and you make the process understandable, then it becomes clear that it's good to get everybody on the same page. I don't like to draft an insurance trust until I have the insurance advisor tell me what kind of product they'd like to put in there. It might make a difference. And I don't like to put that trust in place until I've had the accountant tell me that that makes sense. And I want the uh, financial advisor to know that we're going to need to pay a ten or $20,000 insurance premium every year for the rest of the person's life or for 10 years. And unless all those people are on board, um, it isn't going to work. So it's tricky. you got to get over people's personal flaky concerns about life and death. And by flaky, I'm not being pejorative. I'm just saying that 
you know, these concerns sort of change through time, and they're not rooted in rational thought. They're rooted in all kinds of fears that we've carried with us through our whole lives. So you've got to deal with that, and that's just making it understandable in a small chunk, a little bit at a time. You've got to build rapport with them, let them tell you the story of what they want to happen, tell them about options they didn't know they had. So, you know, if I tell somebody who's never heard it before that they can protect their shore house or their ski house from uh, being lost to a uh, divorce of one of their kids, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm a more valuable advisor to them than I was before. And once we develop the rapport, then we can start to break down those communication barriers with the advisors, and then eventually we start to break down those communication barriers with the kids. Now, having said that, Every now and then, there's a real problem. There's a child that's bad with money that might challenge the will or the trust, and that adds a whole tier of complexity. And it means that we may or may not be able to disclose things in the same way um, that we might otherwise. But you want an attorney, when you're shopping around for one, that understands these important distinctions and really helps you to get a handle on how much you're worth, how is it owned, meaning how is it titled, who gets it under beneficiary designations when they pass away, helps you get a full and complete picture of where you are now, and then helps to get a full and complete picture of where you want to be. Awesome. Well, we have to go to break, Dave. We come back. We're going to pick up on this important conversation about estate planning, but we're going to switch gears because we're going to talk specifically about the business owner. Stick with us. We'll be right back. I'm Brian Cassidy, owner of Junk King Reno. We know you like a clean house and a clean yard, but sometimes things are too big, too heavy, or too much. That's when you should call us Junk King Reno. We're the professionals in the junk and rubbish removal business. Our team comes to your home to pick up what you need to dispose of. You don't need to gather and haul it to the curb. We recycle and donate everything possible before we visit a landfill. We're fully insured and bonded. Call Junk King Reno, 888-888-JUNK. Junk King Reno, locally owned and operated. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. You own a profitable and growing business that provides a lot of what you desire. Income, wealth, and identity, challenge, stimulation, satisfaction, and pride. By all conventional yardsticks, you are a success. Well done. But wait a minute. Despite these positive signs, your business may be failing you in an unexpected way. Let's consider an owner-based definition of success, one that measures success in business not by how well the business operates under your ownership and not by the benefits it provides, but by the rewards it will bestow when you leave it. There are few universal truths in business life. This is one you will leave your business. My guest, Dave Fries, has been named as the mainline Today Magazine top lawyer in the trust and estate area. He's also been awarded the title of Pennsylvania Super Lawyer in Philadelphia Magazine. His newly released book, Estate Planning Secrets of the Affluent, which he co-authored with attorney Brenda Geiger, who is also featured on the Sherry Hill Show, 
is ready to ship today. Well, that's awesome, Dave. Glad to be here. Thank you. Let's dive in and talk about estate planning for the business owner. What is it I need to know? Well, the first part of estate planning for the business owner is that we're sort of hoping that you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to pass this on to family successors within the business, or you're going to sell this during your lifetime and recognize and be able to enjoy some of the fruits of your labor. So whenever anybody comes to us, we do want to know what they want to happen to this business in the short term if something happened to them. So if they died, what happens to it? But this is often the first time that anybody's really started talking about an exit strategy with them. So unlike a lot of trusted estates planning firms, we want the client to be thinking about these things. Well, is it ultimately your desire to leave this to an executor to sell it or to leave this to an heir? Or is it your desire to sell this during your lifetime or to do some kind of a combination of uh, a sale and gift to heirs? So we want documents in place, whether you're in a in a state where, in a state where the law, um, you know, means that most people use a will, or whether you're in a state where the law means that most people use a trust, you want some kind of document or mechanism that tells the executor or the trustee what's going to happen to this business if you died suddenly. But then you really want the client to be thinking about, in the longer term, what do I want and expect to happen? Because it might mean that they do very different things. So if you have kids who have been in the business for a while and it's clear that they're going to be the successors, the question becomes, should we do a sale, a gift, or some combination of the two so that we get the growth in the value of the business out of the business owner's estate? Because eventually, if the business owner keeps it all in his or her own name um, and, and leaves it to the heirs, they may be paying federal estate tax on the value of a business that they really helped to build and where we could have avoided that. So there are all these techniques that we use to get the value of the business out or some of the growth in the business out while we still give the primary business owner revenue because they might need that to live their life. If you're like many of my clients who've developed very successful businesses, you live a lifestyle in part based on the fact that you work in the business and then later in life that you're being rewarded by the sale of the business. So people come in sometimes and say, I want to give it to my kids. Oh, but I need $250,000 a year to support my retirement. Well, then maybe we don't want to give it to the kids. Maybe we want to sell it to the kids. And there are smarter and better ways and worse ways, depending on your goals, to do each of those things. So when you're looking for a trusted estates lawyer or a firm that will help you with this, you probably want to find one where they have some business experience in dealing with the sale of businesses during lifetime as well as the disposal of businesses on death. That's going to make them much more savvy about the kinds of options that you can use. And these options are varied, but some of them that you know, your listeners probably want to know about is that you could do an installment sale of a business to the next generation or to a, a key employee where you take back the financing. That's good because they're going to pay you back principal and interest, and you know, you'll get to keep that. And it's bad because if they take over the business and crash and burn it, then you may not get paid back. So another option is you can make them go outside and get financing from a bank or from some other source or rent capital and to buy it from you that way. Or you could do something in between where they put down a substantial down payment that they may have borrowed or that they've saved up. 
and then they buy the the rest from you where you take back the note and you kind of split the baby. Right. Um, finally, if you have heirs, again, you might consider an outright sale to them, a sale to a defective grantor trust. These are getting a little bit fancier now. Or putting some of the stock into limited partnerships or LLCs, which are then held by trusts. That, that kind of plan that I'm talking about has the advantage of getting the growth of the value of your uh, company out of your estate, so it will not be taxed to the kids for federal estate tax purposes, and it protects it for the kids if they get sued or get divorced. And all creditor protection, Sherry, as you well know, because you help a lot, your company helps a lot of my clients with this, uh, all creditor protection is kind of stacking various obstacles one upon the other to make it just look too hard or too expensive to go after it. So I liken it to this. If I have uh, $10,000 and I leave it on a table by the open door in my house, any kid walking back home from the bus stop could open the door and take the $10,000. If I just close the door, that will discourage most people from taking money. If I lock the door, that will discourage almost everybody. It'll only be the hardened criminal that'll try to break in. And if I put bolt locks and other security devices and alarms on, now I'm down to a tiny fraction of people who will even try to get the money. That's the same thing with some of these techniques I'm talking about. Sometimes we make them look really complicated for a good reason, because we're protecting a lot of money. And if we've had a child that's already divorced, we know how devastating that could be. We may be willing to create some limited liability companies and trusts to create various levels of protection. It's like building a big wide moat and then a big high wall and putting glass on top of the wall. So uh, some of these things, when I describe them out of context like this, sound very complicated or very expensive and you might not want to do them. But then the reality is, once you see how easy they are to implement, and how relatively inexpensive, you'll say, yeah, I'll do that because it's going to provide a very high level of protection for my kids. And then I've had other equally intelligent clients say, no, I'm not going to saddle my kids with the expense of this or filing tax returns or doing these things, so I'm just going to give them the stock in the company. No right or wrong answer, but you don't want to just do it without knowing what your options are. You want to hear from somebody that's skilled at this what your value various ways are that you get your uh, business out to your kids or sell it and protect the proceeds, what the most tax advantageous ways. So again, I'm going to cycle back to this idea of having a team around you. The lawyer a lot of time will make suggestions and the accountant will be able to say, no, I don't think we should do that because it has this unexpected tax calculation because the accountant knows something about this business that you didn't tell the lawyer. For example, is it a C corporation or is it an S corporation? If it's an S corporation, the lawyer's got a more complicated uh, drafting project ahead of them. So there are pros and cons to all of these things, and it's nice when you could develop a team of a lawyer, an accountant, a financial advisor, and in many cases an insurance advisor, property casualty and life, that all at, at least communicate with one another from time to time. Um, if I could use one more analogy, Stanley McChrystal, General, General McChrystal recently wrote a book, Team of Teams, and when he took over the Joint Special Forces Operational Command, he found out that various, you know, like the CIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency were working on providing intelligence to the Army Rangers and to the SEALs who were going to kill the same guy but weren't coordinating. You can imagine that that can result in, one, a bad use of resources, and two, some disastrous results. 
And the same thing can happen in your estate planning as can happen in war, which is you want your resources to be in alignment with one another and get the best bang for the buck. And you don't want conflicting things happening. So when all po- whenever possible, get you know smart people who will work together. Um, typically, one or more of them will end up being the main contact person for information. But you do want to make sure that the lawyer's not implementing something that the accountant's not willing to file the return on. Well, and, and also, I mean, part of this is... This is not, I wake up today and go, oh, I need to, you know, all of a sudden I realize I have a major health issue or I'm not going to live to the end of the year or that, you know, I want to sell my business. This is, in your experience, the most successful estate planning for the business owner is going to come how many years before it's imperative that the business change hands? Okay, so that's a very great question. The way you put it is perfect. You know, how far back do we go before it's imperative that this happens or that we get a bad result if we didn't do it? So here's the human reality. Uh, if, if I talk to somebody who's in their 40s, even if they're very successful, they tend to be resistant to the idea of estate planning. They haven't had things happen in their life. They're very, very busy. This is an expense. It, it takes them away from their business at a time when they're very busy. There's like a magic switch that gets thrown when people hit 50, 52, 54. They've had a parent or more than one parent sick. They've had a friend who's died. They've seen the example of another business owner who didn't do this kind of planning and it turned into a fiasco. So all of a sudden, as the trust of the state's lawyer, I'm not fighting the battle anymore of telling them that they should do something that they don't want to do. They want to do it. So let's start from that, is that rarely can we get people's attention before their late 40s or early 50s. Now, I will say there are exceptions to this, like every other rule, where I have some clients who've made a lot of wealth in their 40s and just know that they have to do this. Uh, This is true where you have people that have taken a company public and they've amassed a great deal of wealth, and had they just done a couple of little things, set up some grats or done a few little things, they might have you know, had a completely different result, and they get it now. So even though they're only 39 or 42, they want to do this. But generally speaking, people will turn their attention to this in their 50s. If we're lucky, we can get them to start on it in their 50s, because typically by the time somebody's in their mid-60s to 70s, they want an exit strategy one way or the other, even if they're going to stay involved in the business. So this all takes a while, and it's a it's a piece of art. It's like a mural. You keep adding to it and changing and your circumstances change. For example, I've had people who started this process and one child was deep into the business who then later got decided to leave the family business and go somewhere else. And so the plan was all predicated on them being there. And now we have to change that around and we have two other kids come in. I've had people have second marriages and now a younger child is finally ready to come in. Very complicated stuff. So the longer or the further ahead of time, the further you are ahead of that imperative event, the better. So, um, you know, in a perfect world, we would say, let's start this exit strategy planning when you create the business. But it's rarely a perfect world. And so if we haven't done it when we created the business, now is the time. It's like, you know, what's what's the best time to plant a tree? Now. Right. (laughs) So, So you want to start this process knowing and understanding that it's rarely a straight line and it's rarely six weeks. It's a zigzaggy line typically over years that get, that gets you where you want to be for yourself and your heirs and your key employees 
and your management and your other employees if you have that kind of business. And that just doesn't happen overnight. Um, It takes a while, and it will typically change. You know, the earlier we start, the more likely it is to change direction. Um, Mike Tyson put it this way, uh, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And the Army and the military says it this way, no plan survives contact with the enemy. So we plan, and then immediately changes. So that makes people say to me, well, why are we planning again? Why am I planning you? And the thing is, having the plan means that you're moving forward. You're thinking about it. It emboldens you. You uh, take on a project to grow the company, or you decide not to based on all of this thinking. Um, It doesn't mean everything will go the way that you thought it did, but it's way more likely to be aligned with what you want to happen, and it makes the probability of your desired goals, uh, it makes the probability of them happening or even something better way, way higher than if you don't do this. If you don't do it and you die and there's been no provision made and your executor sells your business into a down market, that is the worst possible result. Let's talk about those nasty things we call estate taxes. We'll be right back. This is David Fries. I'm an attorney with Unruh, Turner, Burke & Fries. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she provides so many powerful resources to me and to my clients, business people who are looking to protect and pass on their assets. Thank you, Sherry. Phil Johncock stopped by the studio today so we could talk about the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, our conference that's coming to Reno November 5th and 6th at the Atlantis Resort and Casino. So, Phil, you and I are both involved with the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. You're the executive director, and I sit on the board. And we really are passionate about educating nonprofits. So let's talk a little bit about what people can expect if they go to this conference. Well, the first thing that they can expect right off the top is they're going to have networking opportunities to meet other people like themselves. It's uh, it's great if you're, whatever role you play with your nonprofit, whether you're a staff person, a board member, even a volunteer, you can meet others like you in the community. You're going to meet some of the top trainers around the country that will be here for the event. So what we find is that most nonprofits send two to four members of their team because half sit in one track and half sit in the other. And now you have a well-rounded education after this conference. You're going to have different presenters. You're going to have different parts of every topic. So like you said, there's going to be takeaways. And that's really exciting because uh, that's what the participants have told us that they want for these events is they want to take something back to their office. So you've got your action plan, but you also have got some real concrete takeaways from every workshop. This really applies whether you're a new nonprofit or well-established. Correct. So we're encouraging anyone that's committed to learning the vital skills to successfully motivate, lead, think creatively, and master the big picture in a highly interactive setting taught exclusively in this hands-on two-day conference, then Phil, we want them to register. RenoConference.org. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. We want all nonprofits in the state to show up and participate. Absolutely. Is it that time of year to make an appointment? 
Are you in the market for a mammogram? Instead of a mammogram, why not consider making an appointment for a thermogram? Thermograms are the modern, safe alternative to a mammogram. By mapping known thermal changes in the breast tissue that occur when disease is present, a very early detection can be noted and addressed. This breast screening method is totally safe at any age for any type or condition of the breast. And best of all, it is painless, does not involve any breast compression, no physical contact, and no radiation exposure. A certified medical trainer specialist can determine the abnormal changes in a woman's breast. Thermography is not a standalone examination. Along with your physician's direction, the proper secondary screening can be determined should the thermal image indicate a problem. For a free consultation on whether or not this is the right choice for you, call Thermal Imaging Consultants today, 356-0200. That's 356-0200. Or check them out on the web at thermogramexam.com. The estate tax is a tax on your right to transfer property at your death. It consists of an accounting of everything you own or have certain interests in at the date of death. Both the federal estate tax and generation skipping transfer tax laws are constantly changing, and many states change their laws as well. Tax planning is an essential tool to help preserve an estate. Even if you have determined how the estate assets are to be distributed without estate tax planning, the assets and properties left to your heirs and beneficiaries can be greatly impacted. David Fries is chairman of the Trust, Estates, and Wealth Preservation section of Unruh, Turner, Burke, and Fries. He's also a co-chair of the Elder Law Solutions section of the firm an author, national speaker, and well-known authority on, fam- on family communication skills. His book, The Language of Parenting, was reviewed by Steve Forbes of Forbes Magazine and Media, who called Dave a grand master of family communication skills. His newest book, Estate Planning Secrets of the Affluent, was just released. So Dave, welcome and love that we're connecting. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so there's been a number of really important changes in the estate tax area, so I'd love for you to share how they've affected estate planning. Sure, and these are sort of earth-shattering changes. So if you did your estate planning before January 1st of 2013, you definitely want to go back to the lawyer that did it for you or if that lawyer is not available or if you prefer another one. Somebody that's got some experience in dealing with uh, estates of the size of your estate or larger. And, and here's why I say that. Uh, for most of us that own businesses or real estate or you know are careful investors, we sort of hope that our estate continues to grow in value. So when I tell people what they should be thinking about when they select the trust the state's planning attorney to deal with all these changes in the law is find one that's not only dealt with lots of estates of the type that you have now, but of larger estates too. They'll hit the, que- the kind of questions and problems that you'll hopefully grow into. Um, but here's the, the sea change. In, in 1981, the law changed and we had a $600,000 exemption. So that meant that a husband and wife who had $1.2 million or less, if they played all their cards right and drafted their documents right, could shelter $1.2 million. That stayed largely static for years. And then there was a period of time when that was going up. It went up to $1 million and then $2 million and then $3.5 million. And then eventually it got to $5 million, where the husband and wife could each shelter $5 million. 
So the first mistake that people make, and if you've made this, go back to your lawyer or check and see if you could fix it. The first mistake they made was they thought, oh, well, if I die and everything goes to my wife uh, or my husband, the other one's going to be able to shelter all this. And that's not true under the old law, and it's not true under the new law. There are things you have to do for the spouse to be able to shelter the full amount. So even though we've got this big increase through the years up until 2012, uh, up to $5 million, we have to be careful under that old law and the new law that you do things in your estate planning documents and at the death of the first spouse to make it work properly. Now, here's what happened. In 2012, all the lawyers that do what I do thought that the government was going to let it fall back to $1 million exemption again. So we had a $5 million per person exemption. We thought it was going to fall back to a million. And then miraculously, on January 4th of 2013, Congress retroactively applied uh, a new law that said we're going to give each husband and wife $5 million of exemption. And they did two astonishing things even better than that. They said, we're going to give you something called portability. So when the first spouse dies, the second spouse can, quote, unquote, inherit the first spouse's $5 million exemption. Now, there's some things you've got to do to get it. So remember that, because that's really important, and you have a very limited time within which to do them. But in this way, uh, we allow husbands and wives, by combining <clears throat> their credits, to shelter $10 million. So that means that if a husband and wife collectively have assets, including life insurance and things, of under $10 million, that they could probably leave all of that to their heirs, if they're pretty careful, without incurring any tax. However, and then, then the, the next astonishing thing they did, by the way, was it, it was two little things. They brought the top marginal rate down from 55% of your estate to 40% of your estate, <clears throat> and they indexed the $5 million for inflation. So we had an increase to $5,340,000, and then this year $5,430,000, and every year in which there's a reasonable amount of inflation, that will go up again. So now we're at the point, right now as we sit here talking, that uh, a husband and wife who are careful could shelter uh, basically $10,860,000 of assets. And <clears throat> better yet, they can move some of those assets to their kids or into trust for the kids designed to protect them from paying extra tax and designed to protect them from divorce and lawsuits. They could do that during their lifetime. So if you have a business interest and it's growing in value, you can sell that business interest to trust for your kids. You can gift some of that business interest to trust for your kids. You can put some of that business interest into a limited partnership and have that be protected in trust for your kids. Lots and lots and lots of things you could do. But the big exciting news is that now you can shelter up to $10,860,000 or even more if you play your cards right. So let me get this straight. The federal government did something positive for mom and pop. The only time I can remember <laughs> that ever happening, actually. <laughs> that's pretty exciting. Now, of course, that's up to $10 million, and I know you deal certainly with more affluent folks. I mean, I know you deal with all kinds of people, but if I'm, if I'm someone listening and I go, well, gosh, I own... Uh, my estate is valued at way more than $10 million or close to the $10 million, then is it is exciting for me? Uh, yes, it is exciting <laughs> for you if you have $10 million or more because there are a number of techniques that you could use to maintain your lifestyle and your resources and to get 
the value of your estate assets out of your estate for tax purposes and to keep some of those benefits, which is, is very rare in tax law. For example, if you're wealthy because you've formed a company and it's growing in value or it's going, going public and still climbing in value or it's pre-acquisition or it might be bought out, then you could use something like Sam and Mrs. Walton used. When Sam passed away, Mrs. Walton had Walmart stock worth a lot of money. If she gave that to her kids, it would have triggered a big gift tax because you're only allowed to give a certain amount to your kids in those days. Right now, the amount you give to your kids during your lifetime is $10,860,000, $5,430,000 per person. I know I'm going fast there. But um, in those days, it was less. So what she did was she put it in what we now call a Walton Grat. So these are not the real numbers, but let's say she put $50 million worth of stock into a Grat, and the Grat said that it was going to pay her back over five years. It was going to pay her $10 million per year, and it was going to pay her interest on that. At first blush, that may not look like a very good estate planning technique because she gave the trust $50 million, and she got back $50 million plus interest. So she still had a great big estate. But here's what happened. During that five years, the value of the Walmart stock not doubled or tripled or quadrupled, but even more. So instead of $50 million being in the trust, which was given back, there might have been $200 million in the trust. They gave $50 million back, and the kids were able to keep $150 million mm. with no estate or gift tax consequences. So that's a magical, I'm grossly oversimplifying that, but that is a magical way that you can shift wealth and get more wealth out to another generation. And this is not confined just to publicly traded companies or companies that are being acquired. And there are other techniques. If you have a valuable shore home, for example, or in your case where you're located, maybe a very valuable ski lodge or, or family ski vacation, it is possible for you to use something called a qualified personal residence trust to move that out to the kids at a very significant discount. And then all the growth in the value of that asset during your lifetime. So if it went from being worth a million or two million to being worth four million, you got all of that value out to the kids while using up very little of your $10,860,000 husband and wife exemption. There's lots of cool ways that lawyers can, can shift wealth. As you have mentioned, quite a few tools. I mean, there are a lot of tools in the toolbox, and it is impossible for me as a layperson that doesn't understand all the intricacies of the estate tax at both the federal level, depending on the state you live in, inheritance tax, generation skipping tax, all these things that come into play that you have to have somebody on your team that really understands your unique situation and what are these cool tools that are going to solve the problem for you. And again, I'm sure the frustration for the estate planning world is that a lot of people, they do uh, stuff by themselves or they think they can go online and understand all of this, and that's just not the case. Well, with sophisticated techniques like this, you're exactly right. These really typically are the end product of a collaboration between or among the client, the trust estate's lawyer, and at least the accountant, if not other financial advisors and business advisors. So they're pretty complicated, and these aren't the sort of things that you could generate or tear out of a book. 
you know, for clients that have uh, one child and own a home and a CD and a life insurance policy, maybe a product, you know, created by an online resource or by a piece of software might do the trick. But for anything more sophisticated than that, you not only want the documents to say the right thing, but you want then the assets to be carefully coordinated with the document to make sure they work properly. So with basic estate planning, maybe you could get away with some of that till you build a certain amount of wealth. But with more sophisticated estate planning, you know, you need multiple advisors working on the same page to make this work. And these aren't inexpensive, but the answer ultimately is the reason that people spend so much doing these things is because the return on investment to their kids and grandchildren can be gigantic. So, you know, there are times when we've been able to move millions to tens of millions of dollars that would otherwise have been very heavily taxed in a non-controversial way that the IRS agrees with. And, you know, the tax consequences of that at a 40% tax rate mean that, you know, you could be saving the kids millions and millions of dollars. And that makes spending thousands to tens of thousands of dollars seem pretty reasonable. Well, and, and plus, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, the law changes. Sometimes it's, it's a decade and then it's a couple of years in a row. And there's no way that I, because I'm not tapped into that as someone, you know, a lay person again, I'm going to understand the repercussions. So I could be very excited because I did some estate planning, but now it's almost obsolete because there was massive law changes that the government said needed to pass. Fascinating conversation, and I still want to talk about estate planning. Stick with us. I'm Brian Cassidy, owner of Junk King Reno. We know you like a clean house and a clean yard, but sometimes things are too big, too heavy, or too much. That's when you should call us Junk King Reno. We're the professionals in the junk and rubbish removal business. Our team comes to your home to pick up what you need to dispose of. You don't need to gather it and haul it to the curb. We recycle and donate everything possible before we visit a landfill. We're fully insured and bonded. Call Junk King Reno, 888-888-JUNK. Junk King Reno, locally owned and operated. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Is it that time of year to make an appointment? Are you in the market for a mammogram? Instead of a mammogram, why not consider making an appointment for a thermogram? Thermograms are the modern, safe alternative to a mammogram. By mapping known thermal changes in the breast tissue that occur when disease is present, a very early detection can be noted and addressed. This breast screening method is totally safe at any age for any type or condition of the breast. And best of all, it is painless, does not involve any breast compression, no physical contact, and no radiation exposure. A certified medical trained specialist can determine the abnormal changes in a woman's breast. Thermography is not a standalone examination. Along with your physician's direction, the proper secondary screening can be determined should the thermal image indicate a problem. For a free consultation on whether or not this is the right choice for you, call Thermal Imaging Consultants today, 356-0200. That's 356-0200. Or check them out on the web at thermogramexam.com. 
Hello, this is Tim Nelson, Certified Public Accountant at Evans Nelson & Company CPAs. I'm on the Sherry Hill Show next weekend, Saturday at 5 p.m., Sunday at 8 a.m. on 99.1 FM Talk. This will be an exciting radio show about your money and how to keep more of it in your pocket. The Sherry Hill Show, Saturday at 5 p.m., Sunday at 8 a.m. on 99.1 FM Talk. So much information focuses on how to create wealth when we are young, accumulate more wealth as we grow older, and pass on that wealth to our families when we die. With all of this focus on wealth, we can easily lose sight of other important things. The fact is that no matter how much wealth we accumulate, we still need to have the foresight to pass along our values and ideals to our loved ones. What good is our money if we're not responsible with it? What have we really given our children if we've not taught them to handle their financial resources responsibly? My fabulous guest today is Dave Fries, co-author of a newly released book, Estate Planning Secrets of the Affluent. He's a much sought after estate planning attorney who works with lawyers and other professionals from around the nation. He represents many family business owners and the executives, retired executive, or management teams of many publicly traded companies. Welcome, Dave. Well, thank you again for having me. This has been a pleasure. Well, you know firsthand that when someone passes, their children are still their children, but they're also people dividing your money. And when money becomes involved, it's a whole new ball game. Where do you sure. see a challenge coming from? Sometimes challenges come when we weren't even expecting them because you can't predict with any certainty how people are going to react to the loss of a parent. I mean, in family meetings, sometimes, you know, parents sometimes fear this, but I, I think it's a good idea if the family meeting and the education of the children about what mom and dad want, if that flushes out these issues. It also gives mom and dad a chance to say, look, I have one of you as the executor, not because I love you any more or less, but, because, but here's the reason why. Now, sure, that could cause some stress during lifetime, but it probably eliminates the stress at a much higher level after death where they didn't know and they have to impute to mom and dad why they did something. Not always true, but generally speaking, more educated disclosure is better than less disclosure. And there are times when we can't disclose, and that's fine. But if we can educate the kids as to why we're doing something and we can make them know and understand why now while we're alive rather than springing it on them, that's a real advantage. And it it does work out. If the kids, if it's going to cause more trouble, even though we have one that could do it, maybe we have a neutral third party so it doesn't fall to the kids to fight about who's doing the executor or trustee job. There's no right or wrong answer. Here's what's right, is exploring them carefully in advance so that you're picking the ones that you think are most likely given everything you know about your family to produce the result that you want. People don't think about this is, you know, I am gone. Hopefully people are grieving and mourning and and remembering all the great stuff. But have I set my family up to go through this nightmare and all this trauma and drama that I could have avoided? And so that's the big message in this segment, the necessity of planning, working through this and being inclusive with the whole family and the value that that brings when we initially talked about the spiritual, the emotional, the financial, all those pieces, this is how you solve that for the family. I agree. I know it sounds funny. It sounds like we're talking about going to a naturopathic doctor or something, but 
the more holistic you make the estate planning, and by that I mean making sure that the spiritual part of it, that the philanthropic part of it, to the extent that's important to you, how you feel about the kids. Like, for example, I would draft a trust completely differently if I wanted to encourage a kid to work and to have a part-time job when they were young than if I wanted to encourage them maybe to explore you know, a career in art or something that they wanted to do because I was able to do that. And my clients come in with with all sorts of different views of what's right and what's wrong. Uh, the, the key thing is to find out what makes them feel like they've done the right thing and then to find the techniques that could carry that out. Some are simple, some are complex, some are cheap, and some are expensive. And to get to the place where they felt like they are getting what they want at a price and a cost that brings them and their family real value. Awesome. And the more of these aspects of estate planning you can cover, the better. Right. Well, in your new book, Estate Planning Secrets of the Affluent, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of stories and insight because the best way to write a book is you don't make stuff up. It's, it's based on personal experience. Sure. So what Brenda and I were trying to accomplish is to give somebody who's a small business owner or has a stake in a company that's going to be acquired or go public or somebody that's invested in real estate, somebody that's started to build some wealth. So they're finally ready to admit to themselves that they've become wealthy or affluent, that they've been blessed. Uh, we wanted to give them a tool so they could start thinking about some of these things because the best way to save money and have a good experience with sophisticated trust estates planning is to be a knowledgeable consumer. Now, it, it doesn't mean that you'll read this book and you'll go tell the lawyer, I want a grat, and the lawyer is going to say that it's the best thing. But if you know that a grat exists, if you know that a defective grantor trust exists, if you know that you shouldn't leave your IRA money directly to your kids now since the Clark estate last year, and that you should put it in a special kind of IRA trust, if you know that, that process is going to go way faster. So somebody that says to me, I read in your book that we shouldn't leave the money outright to the kids. I like the idea of using one of these IRA protective trusts. Well, we just saved an hour. Right. And that <laughs> has real value to you. And we could go on to, to turning our attention to things that matter and need to be customized for you rather than some like a generic issue that everybody faces. Right. So we wanted people to have a great resource. If you want to get a copy of the book, I think it's not in general release yet, but it'll be up on Amazon. It'll be in Barnes & Noble. And you could call either Brenda's office if you're West Coast based. That's uh, 760-448-2220. Or if you're East Coast based, 610-933-8069 is my office. I think uh, eventually we'll have a uh, e-version, a Kindle version of the book up that will be much less expensive than this hardback version. And eventually there'll be a paperback version too. But if you're clients of Brenda's or mine, you could call up and they'll probably send you one. If you're not, somebody at one of those offices will be able to tell you how to get one and it'll be released and, and outright in release probably within the next month or so. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you for bringing forth your wealth of knowledge and information. And of course, I absolutely value our friendship and years of working together. So thank you for being here with us today. Oh my goodness. Thank you too. You guys are very kind. We'll pick up again next week. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for The Sherry Hill Show.